Hey there, welcome to another episode of Close to the Vest. My name is Arthur Ettinger, and I'm super excited about this episode. I am here with Diane Steiner, uh, family law uh, extraordinaire, uh, and uh, proud to say my partner, Diane Steiner. Diane, oh, wow. thanks so much for being here. I oh, love it. So I have to tell the audience before we jump in, I love your journey, but before we go to your journey, I need to just let everybody know, and we joke about this all the time. Yeah. So Diane and I are both matrimonial lawyers, and we used to be adversaries for many years. We've had cases against each other at the, you know, on the other side of the table, and I hated your fucking guts oh, as a, an, an adversary. <laughs> and I am so proud to say that um, I love you and I am, have a, a, a fondness for you and I enjoy working with you. Oh, wow. You know, I feel the same way. I fucking hated you. <laughs> <laughs> so you but, have, you have, um, I just want to jump right in. Okay. Right. You have an extraordinary story. You've had a lot of uh, greatness and success, and you've had failures, and I think all of that makes you who you are uh, today. And so can you tell me uh, and tell the audience, you know, why you, why you did family law? Why did you uh, become a family law attorney? Uh, let's see. I'm going to jump to the middle of my story to have to tell you that, but... Um at the, at the time that I made that decision, I was in a relationship, not a marriage, but a relationship with a man that I knew was going to end. Um, it was not going to go anywhere. Um, I knew that I would have to take care of myself. I had been divorced um, for a couple of years. It was a very contentious divorce. We'll talk about that later. So it makes me understand what my clients go through. Um, and uh, I didn't have enough money. I was struggling, and I had to change careers. I was an audiologist, so audiologists don't make a lot of money. Right. I don't know. Maybe I was making $30,000 a year. Um, doesn't go very far. Living in a house in Great Nick, and uh, at the time that I was deciding I'm going to end my relationship, I needed to make more money. I didn't know what to do. I kind of looked around. Um, thought about my careers, interviewed at a couple of department stores. Maybe I would be a shopper because those are the days that I really liked shopping. Interestingly, now I couldn't care less. But um, And my son was going to law school. And I thought to myself, hmm, maybe I should do that too. That would be fun. He's going to law school. I'm going to go to law school. We'll have something to talk about. It seems like a good career. It looks like I could do it for a long time. You don't age out when you're a lawyer because right. the older you get, the wiser you are. Um, so they say. And it was one foot in front of another. I thought to myself, well, I think I'll take the LSATs. I probably won't get into college, into law school. And so I study hard and I take a course and I take the LSATs. And lo and behold, I get into Cardoza, and I think to myself, all right, I'm here with all of these young kids, these smart kids. They just graduated college. They know how to study. I hadn't been in school for so many right. years. I was actually in my early 40s when I went to law school. I'm never going to make it. And it was just one day after another, and uh, 
here I am, went to law school, did well, you know, um, got a job, had a great career. But I think your question was, how did I become a family lawyer? Sure. So I loved my divorce lawyer at the time. And I thought, gee, that would be a cool thing to do one day. And um, it looked good. It looked good. She had an office with a window and a secretary, and she's telling her secretary what to do. <laughs> and she had clients with all these interesting stories. And uh, I just, um, I loved it. I took the courses in, in Cardoza, and I loved it. And I still do. Was there, um, I'm hold on, my, actually, the question that came to mind. I want to just talk about your son going to law school. Yeah. Um, how did your how did your son react when you said you were going to go to law school? Also, Does yeah, he, he loved it. Oh, really? That's great. Oh, yeah, he was so excited. We didn't go to the same law school. Right. We didn't, you know, we don't do the same kind of law. Right. But you know, he's always has been very supportive, and he said, "Oh, mom, that that's great. Go for it. You know, you'll be a great lawyer." I love that. So, and and, do, and I know you told me the two of you guys got sworn in together. Yeah, that was so fun. I love that's amazing. Yeah. We made the, um, there was, at that time, the New York Law Journal had a little section on the upper right side. It had like, you know, little gossipy things. And so it made the Law Journal, mother and son were the first mother-son team to be sworn in on the same day. That's fantastic. Yeah, it was, it was great. I so when you, you, you mentioned um, your divorce lawyer, was there something during the divorce process that you were going through that said... You know, I want to go do this. I want to, uh, I want to make a difference. It was a different landscape back then. Yeah, and, it was. Um, so, was there something other than the window in her office? <laughs> was there something else that um, prompted you to um, take this on? You know, um, when I think about it, I've always wanted to help people in some way. So, even when I was in high school, I remember volunteering at. I don't know, some kind of a retirement home. I don't remember what it was. Pushing people in wheelchairs to their next appointment or to their bingo or to lunch. It just gave me a lot of pleasure to do that. And then when I graduated college, I graduated with a degree in speech therapy. And so I was working with, at the time, I was working with um, public school children. Then I got my master's in audiology, and I was working with the deaf population, hard of hearing, and I, I did that for about 15 years. So I think that there's something in me that really likes to help people, and being in family law is the perfect place sure. for me to be. So when we were talking about doing this, and you were telling me about you know, your history... Um, one of the stories that kind of struck with me, I know like your, um, your husband was affluent. You guys were living out in Great Neck and, um, you know, and at the time you, you were not a lawyer, you were not earning the, you know, the income that he was and you weren't able to, uh, do certain things, um, for the kids that he was doing. Yeah, that and was really, that was a, the, one of the worst. It wasn't the worst part of my life, but that was real trauma to go through that. And we see a lot in doing what we do where, typically, you know, not typically, but there are a lot of times there are situations where there's uh, disparate income and one spouse 
um, or one parent can do more for uh, the children. And or you have a situation where one spouse, let's say, is trying to purchase the affection of the kids. Oh, yeah. And um, inst- there are a lot of people that will just sit and they will complain and just feel sorry for themselves. And to me, you you took that energy and you transformed it. You said, no, not for me. I'm not going to allow this. You explained, we were talking about the Peter Luger scenario where, you know, you know, you're dependent on him. He, and he's taking them all to these fancy restaurants. And you said, I'm going to go do this, uh, on my own. And I, I love that story. Yeah. Those were, those are really bad, bad years. Um, they were bad years legally, and they were bad years emotionally because um, it was at a time when actually there were not that many people that were getting divorced. I was the only person that I knew of all my friends in the social group. Um, so it, it was just I didn't have a support group. All my friends were all married. Um, it was about as, you know, it was one of the times in my life that I was about as low as I could get. It was so bad that Um, My friends will understand that if they listen to this podcast, that I couldn't even buy Heinz ketchup. I had to buy the generic brand because money was so tight, and I was married to a really rich guy. We had a very um, privileged lifestyle, which kept me in that marriage for 18 years. So it makes me understand all those people out there who are staying in a marriage and you know, they have a good life and, and they don't have money and, and they know that their standard of living is going to change dramatically. And I just, um, I, I said to myself, um, you know, where will I be in five years if I don't divorce this man? Mm-hmm. And the answer is, I'm going to be in the same place. He's not going to change. And I'm going to be really unhappily ma- married, really unhappy. And what will I, where will I be, I say to myself, if in five years, um, it's not like that. Maybe I will be happy. Maybe I will be with someone else or I don't have to be with someone else. I'll just be in a happier place. And so it seemed like I had to take that step. And I always also thought, Arthur, about being a good role model for my children. I and I always thought, I don't want them to see a mother that um, lives in a bad situation. I want them to always take a risk. And so I took that risk. Good for you. It was really hard. It was um, the help of a really good therapist. Um, One day, one one foot in front of the other, one day at a time. Um, And I got through it. You're a super strong individual, and that's one thing I really admire about you. You know, we hear, you know, there's a lot of woe is me with our clients and Mm -hmm. justifiably so. Yes. They're going through a tough time. Right. And there are, you know, it's very easy, just, it's very easy to just not get out of the bed, stay under the covers and just complain. Ultimately, you know, like my like my mom used to say to me when I was going through a divorce, nobody wants to hear you. After a while, no one wants to listen to it. And there are people that they're their own worst enemy. They can't get, they can't get past it. You, you went through, you went through a divorce, and then you went through a, a, a hor- much more horrible loss. And and here you, and, and yet you're, 
it doesn't define you. You are so strong nonetheless. Yeah, it doesn't. I Well, for a while, I, I felt defined by it. So just for the audience out there, um, when my daughter was... Um, was 39, she was diagnosed with a glioma, which is an inoperable brain tumor. Uh, and she was sick with that, and we saw treatment for that for about two and a half years before she passed away. And that, of course, is just, there aren't any words for me to tell you how, what, it was just the lowest period of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a while, I, I felt that, you know, I was, whenever I went any place, I always felt people were looking at me because so many people knew me. I was in a law firm, I was in court, I had a lot of friends, and that people would say, there's, you know, poor, poor Diane, you know, there's Diane, her daughter has got a brain tumor. And I was just doing everything I could to keep Stephanie alive, traveling all over the United States, sending her x-rays everywhere. Um, Always had faith that she would, get through it, which everybody else knew that she wouldn't. Um, but I had, I have another child. I had David, and I had me, my life, and I wasn't going to be, I wasn't going to give up. I always say it's sink or swim, and I wasn't going to drown. It just isn't who I That's am. amazing. Who I am is I was just going to go forward, and I did a lot of kind of spiritual things. I I actually changed religions for a while, and I'm Jewish, and then for about six months, I, I went to um, a Christian church on Sundays. I didn't even know that. I, wow. Yeah, so I, I thought, you know, my God wasn't helping me. Maybe Jesus would help me, and so I did a lot, you know, read a lot about psychics and you know, um, just got through it, just got through it, threw myself into my work, um, became a workaholic, which I am almost to this day, too, and I, that's how I deal with those kind of situations. I throw myself into hard work. And, um, you know, I didn't feel strong at the time. People tell you that you're such a strong person when you're going through it. Right. You don't feel strong. You feel like you're going to fall apart. But in retrospect, I was very strong. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I want to teach that to my, to my grandchildren and to everybody that's listening. Is When you go through something like that, you'll never be the same. And um, you'll be stronger and with a different perspective on life. And sure. It changed me. Um, and I'm here to talk about it. I couldn't talk about it for years and years and years. Sure. If I had this interview, you know, three years later, I'd say I can't talk about Stephanie. I would um, tell strangers that, yeah, I have two children, and I say I have a daughter, Stephanie. I just couldn't talk about it. Sure. I'm past that, and Stephanie, I know, would want me to to be happy. And um, it's made me a better person and a better lawyer. Well, I don't know, but better... Um, stronger. But I think as a family law attorney, I think your experiences, and you've been through so many, we just, you know, um, you've, you've lost partners, mm-hmm. and not only your daughter, which is the most, you know, unimaginable, 
and then you've lost, you've invested in relationships and you've lost them. Yes. And uh, everybody in the fam in the matrimonial bar loved Ken and you were there with him. And um, yeah, and that's like you build yourself up and then this happens. Did you ever feel like, OK, it's just it's not worth it. I keep getting past these obstacles and then it's like, you know, it's like the hamster on the wheel. Did you ever feel that way? Never. I, that's amazing. Never, never, never. I have hope. Life is good. I'm here. I, I'm so grateful for the things that I have. And I think that what got me through, um, it did get me through Stephanie's illness and death. And that is that I would do a gratitude kind of, today they call it gratitude meditation, and I still do it to this day. And I count all the things that I'm grateful for. You know, starting out with my own health, with my family, my grandchildren, my friends, my work. Just things so much that I have, um, I'm never going to give up. I have so much more that I want to do. I love that. So, And I'm happy. I'm in a good place right now. It's awesome. And I want to talk about um, the... I want to talk about the practice of law and the evolution and what you've seen as a family law practitioner, but I'd love for you to share in addition to uh, being part of our matrimonial and family law group here at Greenspoon, um, you are also a, uh, you volunteer at Sanctuary for Families. And so can you just tell, tell everybody what, what that is and really uh, how you help people? Yeah, so that's um, the most rewarding work that I've, I've actually ever done because Sanctuary for Families is just one of these great not-for-profits um, in New York. We're in all the boroughs, so I don't just mean Manhattan. And we represent survivors of domestic violence, and I'm a staff attorney uh, in the matrimonial department, and I mentor um, and I have my own cases, but I, I mostly mentor uh, the other attorneys and go to court with them. It's been all remote this past year um, and work a lot of individual work with the clients. And it's just so rewarding because these clients are so appreciative and they've been so abused and nobody has ever, in, in, some, in most cases, we're the first agency or the first people, professionals, that really believe their stories and understand what it is to be physically, mentally, financially, emotionally abused, sexually abused. Um, so they're quite damaged. And we just do amazing work, amazing work. And I feel like I'm saving a life one life at a time. Um, I don't have that same feeling in my private practice with you author. I'm, I love what I do with you. I love having you as a partner. I love our work. I love our department. But it's a different kind of gratification. Sure. It's like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm helping a different community. Of course. And I've, um, I guess I'm going back to when I was in high school and I really wanted to help people that couldn't help themselves. And that's how I feel about Sanctuary for Families. So it's just, it's a great organization. We provide clinical help and, um, anti-trafficking and we give empowerment classes and we find jobs for the people that for our clients and we give them all kinds of support it's just um 
it's a wonderful place to work. But you'll find this interesting. I never told you this before. And I don't have to keep track of my hours. Right. That's a huge, <laughs> huge bonus. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what do, like, I, do you, you talked about, you know, sharing and being a better lawyer because of your experiences. And um, there are a lot of people that say, I don't, I don't think you need to share. Uh, I've had my, you know, I've had my experiences, uh, been through a divorce. I'd certainly, it hasn't been, you know, what you've gone through. But I, you know, I believe in appropriate situations, it not only does it make sense, but it should, uh, it should be that I share these experiences. Um, not only is it important from the practitioner, but it's also important for the litigant to know that uh, I've been in your shoes. I exactly. get it. And also, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. You're going to so. be okay. It, yeah, this is a horrible story, and this is a horrible time in your life. But at the end of the day, you're going to get through it. Um, and I think there's nothing wrong with sharing that and I do think it makes you a better lawyer um, what do you say to um, clients that are going through it because of your experience so I love that that's your style and that's why I think that we just do so well when we team up our clients together um, I will say that I'm a I'm a very open person professionally and socially personally I don't share my Stephanie story with right. my clients. That's the one story that I do not share. But I've been through a divorce. I was remarried. Um, my second husband was a very good marriage. My second husband got sick with dementia. I lived with that for a while before he had to go into a facility. And then he died. Um, so um, I... I I feel like I've been through it all, death, divorce. Um, and I, I do often tell stories, like you tell stories about you've got a two-year-old and you've got a 12-year-old, or right. how old are your children? They I, were uh, now they were 15 and seven. Yeah, so they you, were. You got it. You're in the ballpark. It's all good. <laughs> in the ballpark. <laughs> Who's asking the questions exactly. here, right? <laughs> um, so I do like to share it, and I do tell stories, and um, this is... A, one, one of the stories that I tell most often is that um, very often we have clients that come here and they are shocked that, that their spouse wants to divorce them. And they say, they express their love for their, sprout, for their spouse and they cry. And they're so upset. I'm sure you've had that kind yeah, of sure. a scenario, right? And this is what I say to them. I'm not sure that you love them I think you have to think a little bit about the feeling of rejection because in my first marriage which was a terrible marriage with a terrible divorce which I endured for 18 years which is much too long I'm not not my proudest moment but I actually knew when I came back from my honeymoon, I don't care if my ex-husband is listening to this, by the way, I knew when I came back from the honey, my honeymoon that I was going to divorce this man and that I didn't love him. Wow. Um, I had a lot of happy times. They were mostly on vacation, but 
I had a very good life, and that's what kept me in my marriage, and I had two great children, and that kept me in my marriage, but I knew that I was going to, to divorce him. And then he was a serial womanizer, and then he had an affair, a long affair, which I didn't find out until about three or four years later. And it totally devastated me. I felt completely rejected. And do you know what? I felt like I never loved him more. Really? Yeah. It was just, I loved him. I wanted him back. I didn't want him to be with this other woman. I would have turned myself inside out. I actually did. I'll do anything to please him. I wanted him back. The rejection. The rejection. Yeah, that the is emotion, powerful. So powerful. And I think that's where the surprise comes in because we hear that all the time. I'm so surprised. And, you know, uh, everybody says it that's in the industry. Nothing happens overnight. This has been growing for a long time. And uh, I've had other people on here talking about nothing happens overnight. It doesn't, divorce doesn't happen overnight. But when you get rejected or you see your name in the caption, you're like, holy shit, what is this? And it's scary. It's a very daunting experience. Yeah. Um, and we also romanticize the past. That's right. Of course we do. So I, I, you think of all the good things and then you're scared. You don't want to be alone and you know, life is going to be completely different and everybody is, gets very anxious with the unknown. So there's a lot of emotions, but rejection is a very powerful emotion. And when I, I, so I tell that story, I share that story because of course, as soon as I got my ex-husband back, I wanted to get rid of him again. And so, oh, so I you, did. Oh, so you want him over. <laughs> well, oh, I didn't know that part of the story. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, of course I got him back and then I realized it was just as horrible as I always knew he was horrible. And I commenced an action for divorce. Um, wow. but I like telling this story and I think clients appreciate that. And by the way, it's my style. And just like it's your style, you're a very open person too. Um, there are some lawyers that will never share sure. anything. And I think that there are some clients that don't want to even hear anything personally. Of course. So I don't share with everyone. I share if I think that it's, you know, someone that needs to hear that I, I've been there. I understand that situation. I was in a terrible, terrible divorce. It lasted, you know, much too long. I didn't have any money. It would, the legal system was much different when I got divorced than it is now in terms of what women um, are entitled to. Women fare much better today. <sighs> and, um, but though, if not for anything else out of this podcast, you know, the listener who's going through the divorce, their takeaway has to be, okay, I can do this. I can make it. And um, no matter how bad the situation is going to be and the fear of the unknown, you're going to be okay. Exactly. Okay? And, um, you know, your, your outlook, stay positive. I think that's what the listener has to, you know, uh, focus on and build from the life lessons and, and ma let it make you stronger. Don't let the divorce define who you are. Exactly. So I always say, um, I, I always, I always like to say to everyone that um, you have to keep your eye, you have to keep your focus on the fact that this is only temporary, 
And as my mother, who died at the age of 102, would always tell me, darling, you can live through anything that's temporary. So I say to them, to our clients today, I say, you know, this is not, this is not a doctor giving you a diagnosis, a terminal diagnosis. Right. This is not cancer. This is only, this is going to be temporary. This is going to be over. And there is life. I always say there's life after divorce. So, you know, I got divorced. I got remarried. My husband died. I was with someone else nine years. Um, I've had a couple of careers. I love what I do. I'm still working. It's just um, staying positive and know that we're still climbing that mountain. It's still, it's going to be okay. I always tell my clients it's going to be okay. And it is okay for them. It's just, I know that when you're going through it, you feel like you're never going to get through this. This is, you're going to die from it. You want to die from it. You say those stupid things. I think I'll kill myself. We hear that all the time. I, I can't do this. I can't do this. And the fact is, all you have to do is get up in the morning, get yourself out of bed, get dressed, one foot in front of the other, just every single day, one day after the other, because this is going to end. It's so true. It's going to end. And it does end. And whether it's a year or three years, when you look back on life, it's a blip. You're and right. you did get through it, and you learned a lot from it. Not to mention the fact, listen, if you have kids and you're a basket case, yeah, you got to be the role thing. model. You know, I like, always felt about being you got to like compartmentalize, and like you may have a shitty day, and or even if you're an intact family and you're having a shitty day at work, you better just put that away, and so you can be the best parent. Yeah, yeah. Even in my darkest days when Stephanie was sick and dying and then when she died, I just wasn't going to be identified by the, by, oh, the woman whose daughter died. I wasn't going to do that. I was just going to try to find a little bit of joy every day. And I tell that to my clients too. I say, you know what? Your days are shitty. I know it's really hard. I know he's, he or she is a bastard. I'm, I'm saying she, but I don't always yeah. mean it that way. Um, you just have to find a little bit of joy of doing one thing for sure. yourself every day that gives you pleasure. So I think that what, what we do a lot of is half the law and half psych, psychology. Sure, we I do think. a lot of we do a lot of hand holding, of and I I'm being I can say I've been there. I've walked the walk. Sure, and that's why I like to share. So I'm with you on that. I love that. So we're two two family law attorneys. I think we would be remiss if we didn't didn't focus on for people listening. You know, um, do's and don'ts. Like, let's talk about like. Someone's coming in, they're looking, f- they're on right now, they're looking to pick a matrimonial lawyer, you know, and everybody, we joke, uh, opinions are like assholes. And that couldn't be, <laughs> you know, more true when it comes to going through a divorce. Everybody's an expert, yeah. you know. How many times have we heard, well, my spouse is getting $20,000 and I'm only getting $10,000? And insert scenario here. Um, and, um, so instead of like focusing on what everybody else is saying, what do you think, you know, for somebody about to embark, um, whether it's how to pick a lawyer or some advice that you would give to somebody, putting aside, uh, you know, the, talking about the divorce process itself, 
So let's talk about like picking a lawyer. Okay, let's let's do that. Um, yeah. Do you have any advice on um, like how to pick a lawyer? I do. Okay, <laughs> I'd love to hear it. Do you have advice on how to pick a lawyer? Uh, I have some thoughts, but I want okay. I want you okay. to share first. <laughs> yeah, sure. So I think the I think the major thing that I say to clients because I even they sometimes even ask me, how do I know who's the right lawyer for me? And um, I think the answer is first of all you have to really look at their resume and 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 just see what you can find about them today. It's so easy on the internet. See if they have the experience in 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 matrimonial and family law. Um, don't go to your family lawyer; that would be a big mistake, you know. Or don't go to your parents' lawyer. And right. You've got to find a specialist. And let's just say that somebody comes up with a list of five names, and they're all really good lawyers. Maybe they'll share it with me, and I'll say they're all really good lawyers. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, good lawyers actually kind of know how the case is going to right. end up. And if you go to A, B, C, or D, probably you'll get somewhere around the same result. Do you agree about that? I 100% agree. Okay. So I think then it's about the human connection. And I think you have to pick someone that you have chemistry with. So I actually believe that, you know, there's chemistry not only in male-female relationships. There's chemistry with your in professional relationships. There's chemistry with your friends, right? 100%. And so it, you have to think, is this someone that I will share my deepest, darkest secrets with? Because the one thing that we need from our clients is the truth and honesty. And they have to feel really comfortable talking about whatever it is, that we're not judgmental. And is this someone that you think that you can talk to? A hundred percent. And I think, you know, there's scenarios we often see someone will come in for a consult. They're like, I'm ready. Sign up now. <laughs> and I, I always say, go talk to somebody else. Make sure that it's the right fit. You know, um, I want you to see maybe my style. If I'm the only person, this is the only style you know. This is the only, you know, my take on your situation is the only thing you've heard. Um it's important to go meet other people. We're not in a one-horse town here. Yeah. There's plenty of matrimonial lawyers, plenty of good ones. Um, and uh, my philosophy, I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear. Some clients want yes. that lawyer. Uh, I'm not that lawyer, and I'm not going to be that lawyer in day one nor at the end of the case. And some people want the lawyer who's going to say, okay, today is Wednesday when it's Tuesday. Um, I think that's really important. Yeah, well, I think that that's, of course, I always say to my clients, I'm, I'm very direct. I'm not going to tell you what, you know, what you want to hear. I'm, I'm going to tell you what I think is going to happen in this case. And um, I think that the clients that do select me, they really, they appreciate that. And I use that phrase over and over with them. I told you I'm going to be very direct. And, you know, they'll say my friend got this much money and my other friend got that much money. Right. And I'll say... I told you when we first started, we don't know their story, right. we don't know the details, but I'm going to always be direct with you. And the other thing that I say is if you want a lawyer that's going to do fuck you, fuck you to the other side and, and write these, you know, these long, the geolic sure. 
emails and letters and, and be combative and argumentative and scream and yell and put on a show. That's not me. That's right. It's not me. You, you can find them. Go find them. But that's yeah. not my style. And my listen, style is different. My style is I know the law. I'm going to stay calm. If I don't like what somebody's saying to me, if I don't want to accept a settlement proposal, I'm not going to scream, fuck you. I'm going to say right. the answer is no. So I can't really say I can't agree with all of that because... No. Uh, oh, because I, I know. That's why yeah, I hated you, well, Arthur. Because well, I, will, I will raise my <laughs> voice and I will... Uh, share some expletives oh, from time to that's time. That's why I, we, yeah. I hated you. And maybe yeah. I answered you back But too. it's all good. Um, <laughs> you know, I think conversely, to your point, um, you also shouldn't have a lawyer who is, um, just wants to do everything amicably. Not, I, I don't want to say amicably. We all try to do this amicably. I, nobody starts out a case saying, let's, you know, let's just litigate for the sake of litigating. That's, that's just blind aggression and there's no strategy behind that. Um, I think for the listener, they need to be comfortable with their lawyer who is going to do whatever they can to try to settle their case out of court amicably, but not be scared Correct. if it goes sideways to get in front of a judge. You need that. Otherwise, oh, you're behind the eight ball in the negotiation process anyway. Another pet peeve of mine is when a potential client is, all they're doing is questioning about the initial retainer. But they don't ask anything whatsoever about the hourly rate. Well, they go hand in hand. If you're, you know, it doesn't matter if you, the size of the retainer. Granted, it's understandable if you don't have the means to pay the twenty-five thousand dollar retainer, or fifteen, but the hourly rate is twelve hundred versus six hundred. You know, I, I think there needs to be more of the focus on what's. Uh, it's a balance. Yeah, I always explain that, and I, I, I don't care about getting huge retainers. I, I care that there's enough money to pay my bill at the end sure. of the day. So um, I, I know clients are very focused on retainers, and I think that's a very big mistake. Um, I think you need, I think clients need to pick, uh, an attorney that they have confidence in and, um, and that they have compatibility and chemistry with. I agree. I, I often will compare lawyers and their family law clients with dogs and their owners. And a lot of times <laughs> a dog owner and the dog, they look alike. If you ever think about it. <laughs> And a lot of times in the scenario in a divorce, they look alike, you know, uh, the clients. Not actually look alike, but, you know, they behaviors behave and personalities. That's exactly right. They behave a lot. That's right. And I think there's also a misconception with clients that you should not, we as the practitioners, should not get along with our adversaries. It is so much easier to settle a case out of court if the person on the other side of the table we can get along with and we can settle a case. Whether it's sitting in a conference room, whether it's sitting in a courtroom, whether it's sitting at a dinner and saying, hey, let's go to dinner and settle this thing. Because any case can be resolved unless, you know... I, my feeling is doing what we do, 
they should all be resolved, unless there's some serious pathology. Or there's two experts that just, you know, and two experts should be close enough on evaluation of a business where they can settle it. But if the lawyers are getting along, it's going to make it so much better. How many times have you been in, in court and your client's like, stop, why are you being so chummy to them? Well, you're going to benefit. If you bring in an outsider, the outsider tends to be behind the eight ball because they're not, uh, they're not part of the, the normal cast of characters where we could say, hey, listen, I know Diane. She's tough enough and she knows what she's doing, but she's reasonable. She's going to get the deal done. Yeah, so that reminds me of my own personal story. So that's, this is another story that I like to share with my clients. And that is... Um, when I was going through my own first horrible contentious divorce and we were in the courtroom, uh, I saw that my lawyer and my husband's lawyer were really chummy together. They were like laughing together and talking and smiling and he would like touch her arm and I was like so fucking furious. I couldn't stand it. And so I said to my lawyer afterwards, how could you do that? Exactly what you were just describing. And it happened to be that they were ex-partners, and they were, they were friends. Wow. And um, she said the same thing. She said, Diane, this is going to be good for your case. I'm going to be able to settle the case, which she did. Um, I'm going to be able to settle the case um, with this person. And we, don't, we each respect each other, and it's okay. It's better for you. That's right. He's a good lawyer, and that's all I want. And then I remembered that. And so do you know now when I go to court, and if there's, uh, or am I in any place where I might be with the uh, spouse's lawyer, and it's somebody that's a friend of mine, when I say a, a professional friend, sure. or maybe even more so, um, I will say to my client, I don't want you to be disturbed by the fact that I'm very friendly, that I'm acting friendly with this guy. I know him very well. Um, we're colleagues. We're close colleagues but it's going to be good for you. But I know how you're feeling because I was feeling the same way sure. when I was getting divorced. So I know how you're going to feel. I don't want you to feel that way. This is good. I love it. Um, do you have, and what's your feeling on, you know, how from when you first jumped in to being a family law practitioner to where, you know, the landscape is today uh, as a, a case that comes in for example like I, I I'm, I'm more confident telling somebody that's looking to get joint decision making today as opposed to even a decade ago and it's you know um, 20 years ago 30 years ago it didn't look like the way oh, it does yeah. now yeah. Also, I think that today it's much more likely if both parents are good parents, if the father is going to get equal or almost equal sure. um, physical custody of the child. And, and when I came in, you know, it was still the mother and the children. And so it's changed. I think father's rights have um, made an impact today i mean there's been i a, think that's right and there's you know there weren't any uh guidelines when i first came to practice right. remember those days there were no maintenance guidelines right. no child support guidelines 
Um, judges did different things in different courtrooms. It was confusing. Different counties did different things. It was much more confusing. Um, what else? Yeah. Let's and think of how else has it changed. Well, uh, there's so, listen, we now, as of February, we now have, you know, oh, legalized now. surrogacy, which is such a beautiful thing. It took, you know, New York is so progressive in so many different ways, but so behind the technology in many ways also. Um, you know, in 10 years, they're going to be talking about this and they're going to be saying if the question was asked, because there's now going to be remote conferences, they're going to be here to stay. Sure. And I, and so I'll, that's another big thing just this past year, how, you know, things have changed and that's, it's going to stay. Judges really like having. Um, you're all, and you're a hundred percent right. And there are a lot of people who um, have said this whole COVID aftermath is horrible. And I will say to, and uh, we have a lot of clients who um, have experienced tremendous delay and it's been a nightmare. And there's been a lot of situations where cases have not been able to move along like they used to. But in a lot of respects, this, the efficiency that it has provided, lawyers do not have to bill four hours in a Correct. court appearance, That's right. even though we would really see the judge for 20 minutes. Yeah, absolutely right. That's a very big plus. I like court conferences. I mean, I haven't done a trial remotely. Have you? I have. And how did that go? I don't think I would like that. I don't love the concept of a trial remotely yeah. to the extent that I don't know who is beyond that two-by-two two box. I don't know if there's a family member sitting when I'm cross-examining, you know, um, if I have to upload my uh, evidence beforehand, I don't love the ability of the lawyer and the client to look at the documents, no matter what the directive is by the judge, to not uh, be conferring with counsel. Um, there's no way to police that. Um, but at the same time, I, um, and I think just assessing credibility, a smirk, how, a, how uh, an individual sits in their chair during testimony is very telling to a judge who's the fact finder deciding the issues. Mm -hmm. But at this, but on the flip side, it's very, clients don't have to spend so much money, the money that they do, which is relating to the trial itself, between the prep, the car, to take all the boxes down, now we could sit in a room just like this and do our trial. Uh, you know, I, I would prefer having conferences in a room like this. And if we have to try the case, then we should be able to do it in person. And I think ultimately that's where we'll yeah. be. Trials are back to normal. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think we will. Judge um, Matt Cooper, I, I just heard him speak. And he's very much against, he, he's very much for in-person trials and he likes in-person conferences, too. So I think it'll be a hybrid, but I think um, that's, right. that's a big change in what's going to happen in the future. Um, well, this has been really amazing, and I, I really appreciate you sharing. Um, you know I love you. Oh, and, I love you, uh, too. <laughs> one last I question yeah. <laughs> before we uh, close out. Okay. Um, so, as you know, I like sneakers. <laughs> I do know that. 35 <laughs> pairs. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, 
So what's your favorite sneaker? Oh, you're not going to believe this. Do you know the little kids' sneakers that you slip your foot into that don't have any laces? They're like yeah. $49.95. They're like my favorite sneakers. Awesome. I have them in my Comfort. office now. I'll show you. I have Perfect. them in a lot of colors. And they have, do they have like the little blue? Like no. I remember kids when I was growing up, they had the little blue like oh, tag think, at the bottom. Yeah, they have a little. I thought it was red, but yeah, okay, maybe, maybe it's blue. I don't maybe know. Maybe they changed it. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, those are my favorite sneakers. Very cool. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you, Arthur. Thank you.